going to be discussing the third commandment, which is Exodus 20, verses 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So to start off this sentence, what is God's name? Fortunately, Moses asked that question in chapter 3 on verse 4. And that's not right. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, this was whenever the the Lord appeared to him in the bush, and he's being told that he's going to have a, be the go-to guy that God uses. And Moses, or God, responds by saying, "I am the Lord God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob." Whenever God is asked who He is, His response has always been that I'm the God of your, I'm your God, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses, in verse thirteen, must be, must have been pondering this for some time. Because instead of asking who God is, he asked, what is his name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That must have been one of the hardest things God has ever been asked to do. Because he was asked to say what he is. And the only response he could give was, I am who I am. What he does is who he is. And every place we go to today will be building on top of that. I am who I am. So we start off in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, God created the heavens and the earth. He's the Creator. It's not simply a descriptive word because He created. It's not only a title because He's created. He's the Creator. That is His name. That's who and what He is. In Genesis 15, verse 7, He was speaking to Abram, and He is saying that I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans and I'm going to give you this land to possess. He's he's saving him and giving a promise at the same time. I put Savior there because all throughout this chapter of Genesis and Exodus we see God saving His person, His people. You see His purpose being developed in this person. But he's saving and he's promising. 
in chapter 28, verse 15 of Genesis. It's with Jacob, and his parents just told him he couldn't have a Canaanite wife. So he's traveling, and he went to sleep, and in his dream, starting in verse 13, the Lord says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I'm going to give to you and to your offspring. So now we have a promise. Hope. And then continuing to verse 15, it says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So in verse 13 we have a promise. In verse 15 we have a promise to fulfill the promise. That was the thing with God. Whenever God says something, He does it. And that's what distinguishes Him as a God rather than a man because what man says and what He does, we try to be one and the same, but they're not. But I want to focus on 15. It says, I will keep you and I'm not done with you until we're finished. And then in verse 16, just a little bit further, that inspired fear in Jacob. Promising to keep you not forsake you. And that inspired fear. I have my own theories as to why. I mean, his parents just told him he couldn't do anything and he was obeying them. He was running off. But nonetheless, it inspired fear in Jacob because God was a keeper of promises. This is the same God that's been saying that He's going to destroy this people and that people to give you this land. In Exodus 6 6, say therefore, He's talking to Moses still. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians and will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to my people, to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the burdens of the Egyptians. In Exodus chapter 20, whenever the Ten Commandments are getting ready to be bestowed, the Lord starts off by this, saying in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Whenever people talk about laws, they usually refer to it in a burdensome way. Being told not to do something implies that you are under them. It's the way it's always been. And yet in chapter 20, when God starts off by saying these rules, these commandments, He says that I'm bringing you out of the house of slavery, the one who brought you out. If we go to the New Testament, I want to say James. 
but it speaks of His commandments and how we are to obey them and how they are not burdensome. Because the Lord is our God and we obey. In Exodus 15, verse 26, it speaks of uh, God testing the Israelites. And he. Tested them and says, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes, give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Now we know why Jacob was afraid whenever God says He keeps His promises. If you do what I say, I won't bring the diseases to you, but I am your healer. Yes, he was referring to, at this point, physical ailments. But we know that God is our spiritual healer too. These are not simply titles. This is what God is. I am who I am. And in 16, verse 12, they had just left Egypt and were in the wilderness and were without water. And they were starting to grumble, I think. I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I put provider. So, I think it was three days without water in the previous verses. Oh, that wasn't it. That was before. Sorry. In Exodus chapter 15, they had just been saved. And the entire chapter 15 is titled to me, The Song of Moses. But it gives an illustration on how the people of Israel were on an emotional high right now. They had just been saved out of the burdens of the Egyptians. And it starts off by saying, I will sing to the Lord who has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength in song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise Him. My Father's God. I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. With God being who He is and what He is, we've almost taken a back seat and cheated by simply calling Him Lord. Because it's difficult for us to be able to say all that He is. And it's even more difficult because even when we do say it, we know we miss something. Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 says, Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. 
For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Thanks to Rebecca, I looked up in Strong's what the word vain was in Hebrew, and it meant desolating, evil, ruin, false, useless, fruitless, and deceptive. I put deceptive at the very end because I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. In vain implied to me meaningless, fruitless. It didn't do anything. Deceptive implies that it simply just didn't do anything, but it did the wrong thing. But I'm going to focus on useless because that's pertinent even more so to believers and to unbelievers more deceptively. Just a quick thought on how the Lord's name has been used in useless ways, in meaningless ways, has led me to think on how TV shows... on how TV shows use it for humor. Lord help me. God save us all. I mean, those are funny moments in TVs. It's meant to imply that we're in a pickle and need help. That's the way the TV portrays it. And then, sure enough, when we're going through our life and we're in a pickle... You'll think it. Because you want this pickle to be funny or else you'll be mad or sad at the situation. So rather than facing it, you turn it into a comedy sketch. Hope it'll go away. So I'm going to focus on how we can use creation, the creator, the creative powers that are given only to God in a rather useless way. I plant my garden, I water my plants, plants bear fruit. Makes sense, right? Paul planted, Apollos watered, God bore the fruit. I use that in everyday thought and action easily. The plant bears the fruit. Of course it does. That's what a plant does. It bears the fruit. It produces it. It grows it. It makes it. We thank God for letting the plant bear the fruit rather than saying, thank you God for making fruit grow on that plant. That's the way we've gotten into a mentality. We thank God for letting things happen rather than giving Him credit for it happening in the first place. And then when it moved on to the Chaldeans and the Urs for what I put for Savior, thank you for getting us out of that situation. That could be a car breaking down and you getting a flat. It was for me going to school I hated going to school. I went there because my mother wanted me to. Doing what was right. I'm obeying my parents. 
God gave me an F. (laughs) That's what I get. I wasn't thankful I was obeying my parents. I wasn't thankful I was going to school. It showed. Then for comforter, God always keeping His promises. I'm thoroughly convinced a believer needs to read promises where God says He's going to do this and He's going to do that. In the Old Testament, we had Abraham who was given promises that his seed would multiply like the sands of the sea and Jacob and Isaac. They were given all of these promises and they believed them. When we read promises about conforming to God's image on a general level, specifically getting better, we always seem to let ourselves down and say, I'll never get that right. I'll never get that right. Well, good job. You just called God and His promises worthless. For Redeemer, in 6.6, where God said that He was going to redeem the Israelites from the Egyptians' burdens. There's only one real redeeming character and promise that we look to, and that's to the resurrection, to life everlasting. Good job. We're trying to do that one very well. But He is redeeming us from ourselves, from our sins, from our bad parts. And then in 15, verse 26, it says healer. Spiritual healing. Praying to God, and God God hears our grumblings, our moanings. And God is the fulfiller of promises. Because that's who He is. That is what God is. And one of the most disappointing things is in chapter 15 where they sing the song of Moses. They're on that emotional roller coaster, just been saved, seeing miracles happen all around them. Then, technically days later, they start moaning and complaining, seeing what God has done and not being satisfied for the for what He has done and always wanting more. I wanted to pick one and say it was Almighty. It was hard to pick just one. So I was only going to leave it as an idea. God Almighty. And Genesis where God brings the flood. I'll use that for Almighty. He controls the weather. Powerful. Nothing is without of His grasp. So knowing God complains about the weather, how often do you complain about it not raining? About it being too dry? Or in winter whenever ice hits and you got to go out and scrape your car? I mean, God had the power. 
It's not like he withheld his power and let it ice your car. That's what God does. God takes care of the flowers, the birds in the air. He's given promises to multiple people up into Exodus chapter 20 that He's going to multiply their seed. They're going to bear fruit. The third commandment is broken whenever we do not give God what He deserves. His due diligence. Whenever we... deceptively take away what is His. For deceptive, I would have to say that for a man to be perfectly right, he would be able to focus on the law of God and the mercy of God at the exact same time, in the exact same way, and to not favor one or the other. Whenever we speak, we are either talking about His mercy or His laws. I can never fully focus on both of them the exact same way at the exact same time. I cannot give them both the same value that they deserve. Like today, I'm focusing on the third commandment, which is a law. So now I'll move on to even more fun things. So third commandment is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I have given titles, more so, only from Genesis and Exodus because that's what the Israelites were viewing, were seeing God as. Now if we move further along, we now have the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ coming into play. Every title that God has, though God the Father has, God the Son has. God the Son has also sacrificial meaning. That He was our sacrifice. For all of the ceremonial sacrifices that there were in the Old Testament that had yet to be given up to the Ten Commandments. Christ is all of those ceremonial sacrifices. If we deny one of the sacrifices, we deny Christ. And we are using Christ's name deceptively. Wrongly. Falsely. Evil. when we don't give the Holy Spirit due credit for regeneration. When we look at an unbeliever, and although we don't say it, we can't help but think it, you know where he's going to go. But we don't know God's timing. We don't know God's full well-meaning for that person. God's glory may reside in His justice to that person or His mercy. But we think it. I mean, I can state that unbelievers glorify the justice of God. 
but it's those people we meet and we just make that one little heartbeat of a thought and feel sorry for him that he's probably going to go there or she. The third commandment had enough meaning the way it was whenever God said, I am who I am and you will not use my name in wrong way. You will not use it deceptively. And then, how much more so do you think God's going to take that whenever you're talking about His Son and you're talking about His Spirit? Whenever we speak of Christ, it needs to be in reverence, in awe, in fear. The last part of chapter 7 says, The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's the whole purpose. When you use God, when you use things pertaining to God, use it rightly. Or don't use it. Sad to say, I mean, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says all the Scripture is profitable for rebuke, reproof, correction. All of those things, very true. But if you can't do it, don't do it wrong. Reproof yourself, rebuke yourself, correct yourself. So whenever you face that circumstance, that situation, you can do it rightly. You you do not put His name to uselessness, to fruitless. Whenever you speak of God, when you speak of His name, whenever you speak of Christ or the Holy Spirit, it bears fruit. That's what God's Word does. It bears fruit. It may be a person getting mad that you corrected them. It may be a man rejoicing because you corrected them. Fruit is fruit, but it always bears fruit. In chapter 15, they sing a song to God. Verse 2. The Lord is my strength, my song, my salvation. Verse 3, a man of war, the Lord is his name. The rest of the chapter continues talking about his miracles and the way God saved him and became their salvation. And what he asked for was recognition of it. I am the Lord your God, a jealous God. If you do not wish to use the Lord's name in vain, give Him due credit. Give Him what belongs to Him. And then at the end of verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He saved them 
from the Egyptians' burdens. You'd think that he would be able, that Israel would be able to give him credit for it, to not complain, to be thankful. Lately, people have been taking a very poor view of the commandments because we're not under the law, right? That's what we always hear. We're not under the law. And yet, the law is not burdensome to those who believe. The entire chapter, or no, not chapter, goodness gracious. Exodus 20, verse 7 says, Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Exodus 3, starting in verse 4, however, in verse 7. Nope, not verse 7. Verse 13 and 14. says, I am who I am. Whenever we say that God is counselor, comforter, wise, we use them in a descriptive way. But that's not entirely fair. God is a comforter, therefore He comforts. God is a counselor, therefore He counsels man. He's wise and He gives wisdom because He's wise. Whenever we speak of God, we need to give Him the full credit. Whenever you see one of us being wise, being smart, being gracious, we have to acknowledge that it's only because that God is gracious and you're seeing that through the man. God is where it first started. We are simply a secondary cause. If God was not gracious, if God was not wise, we wouldn't be either. And it's because of that that we take the credit. I gave that wisdom. I planted that garden. I parked my car out of the garage. I don't know. But it's very easy for us to take the name of the Lord in vain because we are the ones who are taking credit of His blessing. For the blessing, for healing, 
Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That last part reminded me eerily of whenever it speaks of the Holy Spirit and blasphemy against it being the only unpardonable sin. It says the Lord will not hold him guiltless. Doesn't say it's not pardonable. But it definitely rings with an authority that you don't want to break it. And that if you do, there will be consequences. For the Lord is a keeper of promises. Just as so, whenever Christ is in the New Testament speaking on how He would die for many. Just the same as whenever it says that Christ died for few. Christ died for believers. I wanted to start off by reading the London Baptist Confession of Faith pertaining to the commandments, to the Ten Commandments. It has six paragraphs, I believe, that are trying to refute the people who say that they're not under the law. Because we have to do what God says. We obey God. And they spent six paragraphs having to refute and to rebuke the people who kept calling them legalists because they kept telling people they had to do what was right. Today, I wish we only had more people like that. Instead, we have people telling you that it's okay because your sins are forgiven. Yes, your sins are forgiven. Now do what's right. Do what's right. There the Lord tested them, saying, If you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes, give ear to His commandments, keep all His statutes, I won't put any of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. The God is a keeper of promises. Christ died to save you from your sins. He saved you so you could be like Him. Perfect in every way. Doing that which is right. Showing God's goodness and mercy through you. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless. He takes his name in vain. That's all I got.